not every week I get to pray and then preach. That's fun. Uh, but good morning again. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, I was actually sick, and I'm sorry, I'm using my love now if you want to turn the lectern off. Um, for those of you who don't know, I was actually sick for about 10 days, and I was supposed to preach last week. Um, and so Yosmar, uh, come in, uh, I let him know on Thursday of, la- of uh, the week before, I was like, I'm not going to be able to do this. And thankfully I didn't because I woke up with a fever on last Sunday. It was just a battle. Um, so I want to appreciate and just thank you all for the prayers uh, for those of you who knew and were praying for me. Chris thanks you for those prayers um, as well because that was a rough battle of having three kids. You know, as moms, we don't get sick days. Um, which is probably why it took me so long to get better. Um, but now, Yosmar is sick. Um, he also has a, a daughter, one of the fa- um, his daughters that they actually um, started living with them a couple weeks ago, they've grown to five, is also sick. So let's be in prayer for them that they can hopefully not have a 10-day bout um, and they can recover quickly. But we're continuing our Advent series. Um, Preparing our hearts for Christmas, right? And one of my favorite things, as I mentioned, is Mary's Magnificat, and I just want to jump right in, if that's okay. Um, let's jump right into uh, this scripture from Luke 1, 46 through 55. Hear these amazing words from Mary in the Word of God. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. Amen. Let's thank God for his word today and pray that he reveals something new to us so that we can live into this Advent season the way he desires us to live. So most of the time when we think about Mary, this is what we typically see throughout all the art and all the things. Google Mary, this is the first thing you're kind of going to see, where she's very meek and lowly, very humble, always with her head down, almost angelic. It's really funny, when I think about me as a mom, there ain't nobody going to describe me like that. (laughs) And rightfully so. And you're probably thinking, well, yeah, because you're not Mother Mary. Hello. Uh, And yeah, that's true. Um, But Not only, in my opinion, and in others' opinions as well, is this not a historically uh, an an incorrect depiction of what she looked like, but also, in my opinion, it's an incorrect assumption of who she was in totality as a person. I don't know how many people watch The Chosen, um, but this is the mom that they, the actress, who they um, decided to cast as the Mother Mary in The Chosen. If you don't watch it, now would be an awesome time to start watching it. It is an amazing series. But she is a very small, petite little lady. And I don't know how many of y'all know those small, petite little ladies that are very sweet, very humble, but pack a punch. I know them. Some of them may be in the room right now. And when they walk in, they just kind of demand 
attention because they have that small one-liner every now and then that's like a dynamite. And this is what we see with Mary, in my opinion. I think this is a very awesome depiction. Um, I think she does a wonderful job of depicting who I believe Mary would be and historically and biblically who Mary was. And so something that I really want to focus on, and this was a truth that God gave me in the midst of preaching about Mary um, for the first time when I actually preached on the Magnificat five years ago, God gave me this truth nugget, and I, I can't not talk about it because it's not something that she typically gets labeled with, but Mary was the first disciple. Hands down, the first disciple. She doesn't get that credit, but it's blatantly obvious whenever we look at who she was and what she did, she was the first disciple. She didn't step out of a boat. She didn't leave behind a career. She didn't leave behind her family. But she said the hardest yes of all the yeses any disciple after her had to say. Because she said yes to being a mom. She said yes to being a mom. And you can't be a mother without being a disciple. At least a mother who professes in Jesus Christ and wants to do his will. The two are concurrent, mutually inclusive, happening at the same time. Not only did Mary say yes to being a mom, but she said yes to being an unwed mom, a virgin mom, a teenage mom, a poor mom. And when we look at the Magnificat and when she actually professed this praise, she did it in the comfort of her family, but the family she traveled four days to be with four days to get to her nearest relatives. So not only was she all of these other things, she was also a mom who was on an island and didn't have anybody around her to support her in this journey. She's probably not the pick any of us would have picked to be the mother of especially the Messiah, the Savior of the world. But God chose her. And of course he did. That's what God does. He chooses the unlikely. Yes, she was absolutely a humble woman. We know that. We see that in the interactions throughout Scripture and the way that she just simply said yes. But she said yes. That took courage. That took strength. Mary was above all else bold. She was bold because she said yes to the craziest, most out-of-this-world concept the world has ever known. A baby born of the Spirit. Not through conception, but through immaculate conception. And I can't talk about immaculate conception without thinking of my mamma. Bear with me. I know that's weird. When, I, when I, Chris and I found out I was pregnant with Summit in 2017, I had been in Israel for two weeks. 
So I was in, in Israel, and then we got back. I took the test. Woo, pregnant. So the first thing we did was we went home because my dad had just been diagnosed with terminal cancer. So we wanted to share the news with him, right, and be excited about that, but also, of course, extremely sad. But in my household was also my mama, who was 90 years old. Uh, my mom had um, been taking care of her for a couple of years. And so we tell my mom and dad, and then I go into my mama's um, bedroom, and I'm like, mama, I'm really excited. I get to share with you that I'm pregnant. And she looks at me real funny. I'm like, mama, what's going on? It was not the reaction I was expecting. And she goes, I know where you just came from. Is there something else you need to tell me? <laughs> I said, Mama, it was not an immaculate conception, okay? I was not chosen here to have an, uh, the Messiah. So it was really funny. So that's a, a funny story for you about my Mama. Uh, miss her. She passed away in 2020. You can see why I miss her. She was a lot of fun. Um, just always kept us on our toes, especially my mom. Um, but for Mary to say yes, you know, that took courage, right? It took her being bold. And, and what this is, is this is Jesus. I just love what he does with this woman. I love what he does through her. This is him beginning to turn things upside down, flipping the world over, looking at the world and saying, you think you've got everything figured out, but you haven't even begun to understand what I'm doing, what I'm about. And I just love that he does that through this woman that is so unlikely. And when we spend time with her, in the snippets that we have throughout Scripture, we can really draw out so much wisdom and clarity about who she was, who God is, and who we are in light of her truth. In the Magnificat, in this song of praise... Mary not only spends time praising God for all the good that he has done, but she also gives us the reasons for why we say no to God. She gives us this path, a mirror, to hold up to ourselves and ask the questions, God, what are you asking of me? And why am I not saying yes and you may be thinking, actually, that's pretty presumptuous for you to think I'm just saying no to God all the time. Well, yeah, we're human. I say no to God every single day. We all do. We are finite. We are human. We have sin as a bondage, as a barrier. And if we didn't say no to God every day, if, we, if all disciples on earth said yes to God every day, we wouldn't have hunger. We wouldn't have poor people. We wouldn't have orphans. This world would look totally different if God's people said yes to God every day, all day. So yes, we do. We say no. So why? Why do we do that? Well, in verses 46 through 49, it's praise. It's honor. She is pointing to him. She is being thankful to him. She is approaching him with a grateful heart. God, thank you for allowing me to be the person that you have chosen for this task. Thank you. At the end of the day, Mary believes his promises. She knows he's going to bless her. At least she says she believes. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But later on, she goes and throughout her praise, we can start drawing out other things that she's implying. 
other things that God wants us to highlight, and that is, why do we say no to God? And so I want to first visit back to 51, uh, 50 and 51, where she says, His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the who? The proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Number one reason, y'all probably could have written this one in without me telling you, number one reason we say no to God is because of pride. Is because of pride. And how does he know about our pride? In the thoughts of our hearts. Not on our actions. Not on our words. In the thoughts of our hearts. We can't lie to God. We can't think he's not going to see our real motive for why we're doing the things we're doing. C.S. Lewis, who's one of my favorite theologians, says, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Pride is unequivocally killing our country right now. It's killing our schools. It's killing our families. When we put ourselves above others and don't care that our choices hurt other people, that's pride. Well, I am who I am, and I don't care that it hurts other people. They'll just get over it. I want to see the scripture for that. I want to see where Jesus talks about unforgivingly being who you want to be and making choices that you want to make no matter the consequences, especially when those choices and those consequences hurt people, hurt other people. It's not in there. You're not going to find it. It is not scripture. That is not what Jesus taught. He gives us this lesson to Mary in this song because what she was doing is the most unselfish thing you can ever possibly do. And that's be a mom. There were years of my life where I was like, no way. Not being a mom ain't happening. It's really weird to say that now, that I've been a mom for six years. But I was like, I'm just too selfish. I don't want to give up my stuff. I want to do, I want to do the things I want to do. I knew I was selfish. And there are still days that I struggle. And my kids know those days because I take it out on them. Like it's their fault that they're here. Like Chris and I didn't choose to do that. It's a hard thing. Being a parent, yes, dads, including you too. Being a parent, you cannot be a parent and have pride at your throne. You just can't do it. Especially if you're a parent that truly loves your kids and truly loves God. Pride cannot be more important than anything else. So when we visit 52... She says, he has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. You're probably thinking, that sounds a lot like pride. Yes, 
The three points today, the three reasons we say no is pride, pride, and pride. I gave away my sermon. It is pride, but it's a variation of it. The first one was this internal, our heart, where our heart is. Jesus was all about talking about where our heart was. You can check all those boxes, you can pray, you can do all of those things, but why are you doing it, right? This is more of an external type of pride. This is for those people, I may be one of those, who's a people pleaser, who thinks we can do all the things and we have to say yes to all the things because we don't want to disappoint anybody. We can handle it all. We can do it all. There may have been a reason why I was sick for 10 days. I didn't stop. I kept thinking I could do more. I could keep doing all the things, right? It's like we just think we can keep taking it on and on and on and doing all the things. Or maybe you believe that your salvation or your hope or your security or your comfort lies in your job your career, the government, it doesn't. It doesn't. Okay, so if you believe that, and you're thinking like, I don't believe that, maybe you do. Maybe God's trying to reveal that to you. An example, if you feel uncomfortable or feel like you can't talk about God in the workplace with other people, then I want to ask, who gave you that job? If you struggle to say yes to God because, well, I've got a work project done, so I can't go to worship this morning. I've got to get that done before Monday. Or I can't be a part of a small group because that takes too much time and I work too much. Or I can't come to prayer night or log in at 8 o'clock on Tuesday morning because, well, I've got to be at work. If those things are dictating your yes, then the question is, who do you really fear? And I'm not trying to say that your job is the enemy. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I want to ask is, what is dictating your time? And this is something that we have talked about over and over again. Repetition, always good. I forget a lot. We all do. The thing we spend our time on the most, whatever is consuming our time, is what is most important to us, period. Where our time is spent is where our priority is. That's an easy one. But yet, last week or a couple weeks ago, Yosmar talked about all the hours in the week that we have. And he was even overzealous in providing even more hours that people work. But yet we still just don't have enough time. And so what what happens is, and this is just one example, is the church. Not just this church, but every church, we struggle to fill all the many spots we have to fill to get greeters, to get ushers, to get communion servers, to get people to serve our various ministries. And so, what eventually happens, and what is happening right now, is leadership's looking and going, What do we as a church need to start saying no to collectively? Because we don't have people to serve it. Our staff, our 20% who say yes and are here. They're getting tired. They're getting burned out. So what do we have to cut back on? And I know we're not the only church having to do that. It's churches all over the country. What is dictating our time? And serving inside the church, y'all, that's the easiest yes you can have. That is the easy yes. 
it prepares you, those easy yeses, it prepares you for those yeses down the road that are going to be a little bit tougher. What this is trying to say is what the world's telling you is powerful and most important isn't. That's not the kingdom. What's important to the kingdom isn't going to be important to this world. What's important to the world isn't going to be important to God's kingdom. What's dictating our time? Lastly, in verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. This is another pride reference, of course, but this time it's to our motivations and our goals. Who has God filled with good things? The hungry. Who has he sent away empty? The rich. Why are we doing the things we do? Are we doing it to get richer? Are we doing it to get more things? Are we doing it because we have an unhealthy need for security? To make sure that we've taken care of every single thing because there's just no room to trust God that he's going to do those things. In the early church, the Church of Acts, which we spent a couple of sermon series ago talking about, this church, which is something we don't ever think about, was extraordinarily exclusive. So we have signs right now out in the lobby that I was talking about. Take and let everybody know we're having Christmas Eve. We want everybody to come. The early church did not do that. It was secret. And you couldn't be a part of that church until you had been vetted, until you had sought it out, because you were able to see all the impact they were making and was like, that's really cool. I want to be a part of it. But even then, it wasn't, hey, I'm going to show up the first week. Here I am. Oh, no. It was a process. It was a very exclusive church. But what would happen is each week they'd meet in people's homes. These people would come together and they'd bring everything they could. My money, bread, extra clothing, wine, oil, whatever they had to give. They would collect it. They'd look at it and they'd say, okay, we have this stuff. Now, who do we have that needs it? And so they'd think about the people in their community as they were, like, everything they did in the community. Okay, that person just lost somebody. They're going to need support and prayer and for us to be there for them. Or this person just lost their job. They're going to need some money and some food for their family. So they were always looking for those opportunities. And then when they met weekly, they'd collect what they had and they'd decide how to disperse it. And then if they didn't have enough... That's when they'd go, okay, who's, who's not uncomfortable? Who didn't give until it hurt? Okay, that was me this week. Thanks for holding me accountable. I need to give an extra loaf of bread because you know what? God's going to provide. He's going to take care of me. And so I'm going to give this extra loaf. That was the early church. Giving until it hurt to make sure they were meeting the needs of the people they were to care for, that God had placed in their lives to care for. So we ask the question today, are you giving until you are uncomfortable? And this isn't just about money. This is about your time. This is about your gifts. 
your talents. God created you with unique gifts and talents. Are you using those for his kingdom? Are you giving that back to him? The first time I preached this, I talked a lot about Mary stepping out of her comfort zone. That was pretty much the thesis of the sermon. And afterwards, um, a guy that I had been in Celebrate Recovery for with, he came up to me afterwards, and he gave me this pen that I still have. I have it by my nightstand because it reminds me of that sermon and what I was trying to preach because sometimes I miss my own point. But it says, life begins at the end of your comfort zone. Life begins at the end of your comfort zone. If you are comfortable, I can already tell you, God is asking you to do something and you are saying no. He never wants us to be comfortable. He never wants us to be complacent. He wants us stepping outside our comfort zone, stretching ourselves, because that's how we grow. That's how we serve one another. That's how he molds and makes us and grows us and teaches us. Mary had all the cards stacked against her, but God chose her. And believe it or not, He's chosen you too. Not to bring the Messiah of the world into, you know, the world. Not to birth him. But he's chosen you to do something for his kingdom. For him. Something that he has already equipped you for and prepared you for. I'll end with these questions. When God has asked you to say yes... How many times have you said no? I can't count. I've got one big no that was 13 years long. So I know there was a lot in there. But then how many times has he asked you again? Notice I said when, not if he asks you when. Because he's always asking. Even if you're watching online and you feel like you're a shut-in and you don't have anything else to give, if you're breathing, he's asking. He still has a purpose for each one of us to live out his plan, to participate in the way he is trying to redeem this broken world. What is God asking you to say yes to today? It's a season of expectation. We celebrate the first coming of the newborn king while we sit in this tension of anticipating his second coming, which we all long for. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Are you expecting, as Mary did, to say yes, and then God provide you and see you through? Or are you saying no because you just aren't really sure? Yosemar covered all the covenants last week of God's faithfulness. Do you believe that he is still honoring his promises? This is the season, even in the busyness, to say yes. And by saying yes, to discover who you really are and who God really is.
The rest is going to be fine. It's all going to work out. I learned this week that in the corporate world, there are 40 hours of work not done every single week. You ain't going to get it all done. Where's your time being spent? Where's your priorities? Let's make God our priority right now. And then see through our faithfulness His glory magnified. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Let's pray. God, you are so amazing. We are just so thankful that you choose the unlikely. That you call those, even us, who don't feel like we have everything it takes. (laughs) That you call us anyway because you've already appointed us to do the plan that you've called us to take part in. You've already equipped us and prepared us and made a way. Lord, allow us this space to hear you clearly so that we can know what you're asking, so that we don't cloud it with doubt or unsure, just so that we can hear you and know. So that we say yes, we have the pleasure of stepping one foot in front of the other, walking with you in your plan, in your will, so that your glory is shown to this world. And people who are hopeless won't be hopeless anymore. God, we thank you for this season. Help us to hold fast to a a longing, an expectation that you are who you say you are and you are doing what you say you're going to do. We thank you and we praise you. And in Jesus' holy name we pray.